0: This is the 2D10 podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode of 2D10. My name is Nathan. Before we get into the show, I just want to get a tiny bit of salesman kind of stuff out of the way real quick. I promise this will be super fast and we can get right into the podcast. If you like what I do and you want to support this podcast and my YouTube channel, think about backing me on Patreon. I offer unedited podcasts, exclusive content, Patreon only merch, and a whole lot more. Patreon helps me continue to make this content and gives you the opportunity to have a hand in its success. Go to patreon.com T-W-O-D-T-E-N to support this show. Also, if you don't know, I have a YouTube channel like I mentioned just a second ago. I put out new videos every week about gaming, character creation, and more. Go to youtube.com slash 2D10, all one word, to watch those and subscribe to my channel. Remember, that's T-W-O, the letter D-T-E-N. All right, let's get into the show. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I am joined today by three wonderful people, um, two of which are from Gehenna Gaming. I'm joined by Rick and Mark. Thank you both for coming.
1: Thank you for having us. Glad to be here.
0: And I'm joined by Rachel, who lives in my home, so... It's not a huge stretch for her to be here.
2: Hooray! I bring all the ovaries to the party.
0: <laughs> we appreciate yeah. you coming out
1: all this way. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, yeah it, was she... a, it was a big burden. It was a long, long walk from the bedroom to the living room, but I'm here.
1: <laughs> well, I gotta, I gotta say that I, I have met you, Nate. But I'm, I don't, Rachel, I don't think we have formally met you and I. So probably it's, not. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you and and meet faces to names and you know for anyone who's listening, we're. We're on camera so we could see each other and and it's rather nice to meet you
0: yeah yeah it's nice different. To meet you too um I think last time when i um Rick was on and Mark was on I don't think i don't think you were on camera or I don't know there's some i, I like I know I could see I could see Rick but I couldn't see Mark. And then, like, I was on with Ian once. And I don't know. Anyways, I have a shit memory. It's so, a blur. We're all yeah.
3: bearded dudes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like insert beard and you've got us. So, yeah. um, anyways, you guys are here for kind of a specific purpose, not just to chew the fat and chewing the fat's fun, but you're it here is. for a specific purpose. And it's a bit time sensitive, too, because it's coming up very rapidly. Um, yes. So if you guys want to share what you have come for, I would love to hear.
1: Do you, do you want me to take it, Rick, or yeah. do you want to take it? Take offline. All right. So um, while we're here, it's been it's been almost a year. Virtual HorrorCon 2021 is coming up very soon, February 19th to the 21st. Last time we did this, it was in April of 2020? Yeah. yeah, mid-April yeah and uh so so we're here promoting and just like in virtual horror style we're catching everybody's attention while everyone feels very stuck in their homes um it's going to be three more days of tabletop terror there's going to be a lot of actual plays on twitch there's going to be a whole bunch of panels on twitch this year we're having of course all of the tabletop uh, virtual games that anyone can sign up for to play and um, this year we're doing something a little bit different with workshops. So we're doing industry-edged kind of professional workshops for people who either want to bring up their GM game or maybe break into the industry. Um, and instead of like last year, we were we were donating money to the uh, COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund, which was very successful and super super helpful, especially especially in the very very beginning of the of the pandemic. But this year. A portion of the proceeds are going to be going to the Black Girls Code and Blind Cat Rescue and Sanctuary. So those are kind of our two charities for this year. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of it in a nutshell. That's why we're here.
0: So what kind of um, like panels um, or I guess people on your panels are you going to be having? Like who can we look forward to seeing or talking to or getting some feedback from?
3: Well, let me take a quick look here. We've got... uh an LA by night round table with some of the cast from that show. We've got family and world of darkness, horror and media. Um, You know, some of the people, a lot of the uh, fans of this show would recognize Jason Carl, um, hopefully outstar. I think we're waiting on some confirmations, but a lot of people in the community, uh, we've got uh, the guy from Lore by night, the primogen um, Ellie Collins from LA uh, Atlanta by night, you know, um, the -hmm. cast from, L.A. by Night, B. Dave, Cynthia Marie, Josephine McAdams. I'm um, still waiting on a couple more of those confirmations, but uh, as far as uh, workshops and things as well, we've got Crowdfunding 101, Fantasy Horror, um, an Onyx Path uh, cast live, as they are one of our sponsors for this event. So you can catch uh, Dixie, Matthew Webb, and uh, Eddie. Sorry, <laughs> Matthew Webb. I even here. Uh, Matthew Dawkins just gonna keep throwing shade at that bastard. <laughs> uh, and uh, Eddie Webb, <laughs> I was on I was on their show last week, and I was already like joking around, like making jokes at Matthew because he's my buddy. <laughs> and uh, here I am watching his name days later. Right.
1: <laughs> we so we got we have like I would say probably looking at all of them between the panels and the and the workshops we have about almost forty. Uh, Different yeah. panels and workshops. We have about, I don't know, 15 to almost 20 panels, which can be seen. Um, 18 on panels Game Switch. And
3: yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And then for, for workshops, uh, oh gosh, another, another 20.
3: Yeah. So for workshops, they're kind of like a masterclass. You've got people from the industry, including our friend Nathan here, who's going to be on how do you GM because you've done a lot of great <laughs> um, teach me how series, um, yeah, in your podcast career, which back I've in the day I've learned things from. Yeah, same. So it was great to have you involved, and we always like to have you involved anyway. Um, painting miniatures, developing a tabletop RPG from Soup to Nuts with, um, you could see on that one we've got our friend Brian LeBurge and Mike Hollywood Thomasek was one of the writers from Chicago by Night and uh, Let the Streets Run Red. Uh, let's see careers in tabletop gaming, Dixie cochran and james gray we have uh, marketing tabletop games which i think mark is on that one with mitch wallace from
1: helm guest yep and we're gonna there's there might be one or two other people from penny for a tale on that one as well oh nice yeah uh here's one nate will be interested
3: in creating music for games so uh the people from dia morte mm-hmm. who did the red opera metal album and I'm um, still waiting on one more confirmation, but I'm hoping to get the guy from the Bloodlines soundtrack. Oh, that'd done, be cool. Who's done a ton for different games and things. Still waiting to hear yeah. back from
0: him. So
1: if you're listening. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. if, if you're out there. Yeah. We and, need and
0: you. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're peek behind the curtain. We're recording this on t- Tuesday. Today's Tuesday. Wednesday? Today's Wednesday. I don't today's know Wednesday. Tuesday. 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 Today's, today's Tuesday. So mm-hmm. yeah, I forgot what day it was. So Tuesday, and <laughs> then this will be out Friday. So Sweet. yeah, um, things may be subject to change. By the time you hear this, if we get those confirmations,
1: well, here, um, here, here's the thing. I mean, so we move very, very quickly. Um,
2: no very, not you guys
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> a Jack Flash. yeah yeah and that's for better or for worse let's call it um last year we planned this we basically planned this in a week or two and actually started doing the doing for about four days um, and whipped everything up rushed to try to get people to sign up to panels and say oh my god please 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 can you please join this please oh my god we love you this year we're doing it just a little bit differently We're a little more organized and we're asking people a little bit ahead of time. Um, but honestly, it, it's still the same kind of thing. Like it, we, we thought a really long time of, of, how we wanted to make this event different, um, mm-hmm. how we wanted to improve upon it. How, um, and I guess really there is one philosophy that we took with virtual HorrorCon 2021 and that's venerating the tabletop community. Um, so, It's not just the businesses, the publishers, the vendors, all the people that are kind of selling their wares, but it's everybody who's within the community having those conversations and everyone who are streamers or content creators, podcasters, et cetera, um, to kind of lift everybody up and put them all on an equal playing ground, which was, I think, one of the big takeaways with last year. A lot of people said, hey, listen, like we were treated similarly and respectfully just like any other publisher, and I'm just a little small fry. Um, and we wanted to do that again this year. So we're, yeah. we're kind of keeping some of the same mentalities.
0: So when a fan, somebody who wants to participate, um, you know, with a convention, you buy your badge, you take the trip, you arrive at the convention hall. What is like the typical experience going to be for, um, you know, a standard user, um, someone looking to join and, and participate?
1: Yeah, so um, the, the unintended consequence, first and foremost, which is, the, I think, my favorite part of this, is that um, there are a lot of people who, who won't be able to access certain conventions that you have to go to. I, for one, have never been to DragonCon. I've never been to Gen GenCon, uh, mostly because, you know, travel pricing is is a little expensive for me. And if I am traveling, I'm investing in, like, a, a vacation for my family, and I'm the only gamer. Um, so, unfortunately, I can't go with other people who, who may have any kind of disability or accessibility issues, this brings the convention to them. And I love that about it. Um, a typical, I guess, user journey or customer journey, if you call it, would be engaging with all of the content that we have coming out on the website, virtualhorrorcon.com, on social media, checking it out, looking at the, uh, the schedule, seeing what they're interested in, taking a look at all the panels, like, okay, cool, I can watch this, I can watch that. And then if I want to play a game or two or three or five, we have people who only play games during virtual horror Con and that's all they do. Um, you can buy a badge. Um, it's uh, about five bucks, 499 for a badge. Um, all that goes to charity for the badge. And then the tickets will either go for um, to play a tabletop game, which is $25 uh, portion goes to charity. Another portion goes to pay the GM which is awesome because they're actually getting paid for them to, to run the games, which I think I'm very excited about. And then the workshops, which is about $30. So you're really getting that masterclass kind of intimate session with industry experts um, again, with with proceeds going to the workshoppers and the proceeds going to charity. Um, and the, the big part of this is that, you know, you can kind of pick and choose what your schedule is. So you say, okay, Friday, I'm going to watch this. And then at the end of the night, I'm going to play this. Saturday, I got a couple of, couple of panels I want to check out, but I want to fit a tabletop game in there and then maybe check out you know, two or three workshops. Um, and the same thing goes for Sunday. So really, what's, what's really cool about this is that you don't really have that FOMO that you have with other conventions of, I'm on the complete other side of the convention hall and I just can't make it to see the panel that I really want to see. All you need to be is at your computer and not doing something. And even if you are doing something else, if you're not playing a tabletop game, you could watch a workshop and multitask, make a sandwich and have lunch while walking, watching a workshop and not have to worry about, Oh God, am I going to eat?
3: And if those workshops or panels um, at those particular times don't appeal to you, or they're just not your thing, we've got, uh, I think three different channels running uh, actual place at all times from um, friday i think it's starting as early as 5 p.m to uh we even have some late night games starting
1: around 10 or 11. we do yeah we have um we have the um v5 symphony and nocturne from devil's luck gaming every night of virtual HorrorCon at 11 o'clock p.m on gehenna gaming's twitch they're having episode one two and three of their vampire v5 series that's
0: awesome so uh, I know from being on your discord um you know your your rallying ground I'd like to call it there are there are a ton of of people involved um like what other people not professional like you know onyx path people but like what other community people have you been able to um you know get involved um you know like i said, obviously, I know from being there, there's a bunch of different individuals, but there's even tons of, of folks that I'm unfamiliar with. So like um, who are some of the other folks that are involved from around the community? i to take this one, Mark.
1: Yeah. Um, so a lot of the people that we've connected throughout the entire, oh gosh, since 2019, since we've been existing, um, we bring people along with us. Right. So, individuals who we've come across at, at conventions that we really jive with, um, you know, Nick, who is uh, part of the Gehenna gaming team is um, he's, he's our, our production guy and does our marketing too with me. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that we, we just ran into and met and really jived with and he was literally very, one of my players. Right. And he's, he was one of your players and we, he said, I want to be involved and we we're like, okay, come along. Um, and over time became a little more official You know, there's a bunch of other people like that as well. Anybody who's run games with us, um, you know, drew from occultist anonymous who runs a mage game on on YouTube. Um, people from devil's luck, the friends at near dark studios our good
3: friends over at darker days radio who they are. um, They're even using one of their Twitch channels to help kind of promote and stream a lot of this during the convention. So thank you to all of those wonderful folks. Um, People from Penny for a Tale, D&D High, Atlanta by Night uh, with Ellie and a lot of our friends there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a handful of other people from not only, like you said, Alex Path, but um, we've got people from um, Helmgast, um, a couple other places that are uh, Magpie Games with uh, our friend Kate Bullock. Um, just a lot of people who are you know in the industry, but you know those who are in the uh, community, we've also got like people like Faye the Pagan over at Bowling Green by Night. Um, DJ Toreador, who just started up his own V5 stream, shout out to him, uh, River Region Studios. He just did Montgomery by night. His first session was last Friday, and we're very excited for him. But he's a player we love to have in our games as well. I mean, these are just people that we interact with a lot on social media, like yourself and Rachel, who we form very fast friendships and connections with, we love to work with. And, uh, you know, when you are running a convention – one of the beautiful things about it is it's yours. You could really do whatever you want with it. Yeah. You can invite whoever you want with it. And what better time to invite a lot of people who we really have a lot of respect for, have great friendships with? It's kind of like our excuse to party and just have <laughs> fun with all these great people, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you even- know what they're good at? So you can bring them on for any panel.
2: So I just want to ask a real quick question. So are you guys going to be having a networking masterclass at a virtual horror Because if anyone's leading it, it should be you all. Because um, it, it is pretty, it is pretty amazing how like uh, a group of folks who um, are using you know the internet have been able to really connect a lot of people from different islands of the community. Um, into one area, and so I, I think that that's so cool. But if, if I may, I want to I want to circle back to something. Oh, sorry, I used corporate language. I want to uh, go back <laughs> to something that you guys <laughs> touched on a second ago. Um, that I think it can't be like over um, emphasized how cool and important this is. Um, you said something a couple minutes ago about how. One of the big advantages of the virtual horror con was that people who weren't able to go to conventions in the past now have the ability to get um, a live convention experience. Um, And I think that that's something that I always took for granted because I lived in Indianapolis and Gen Con was right there for so many years. And I think a lot of people, especially people who are able-bodied or have financial means to travel to cons, maybe never considered that instead of this being something we do instead of live conventions, this is something we should be doing with live conventions because there's just a huge, yep. huge part of the community that for you know, a multitude of reasons don't have the ability to go to these live conventions. And if there is a virtual way to, so that everybody can participate and everybody can have fun. I think that even in the post COVID times, this is something that we should keep doing. And I think you guys are now gonna be one of the master groups doing it um, that have like learned from early mistakes. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Gehenna Gaming gets hit up to to do more stuff in different arenas in the future, because you guys are knocking it out of the park. So on Thank behalf you. of everybody who can't go to to live conventions, um, you know, when in the best of times, I I just, you know, thanks for for doing this and putting forth the effort. I know a lot of people who really appreciate it. So
3: yeah, it's been yeah. something um, that I talked with um, Eddie and Dixie about last week, where that was brought up accessibility in yeah. tabletop role playing or in any hobby or for any con, doesn't matter what it is, whatever your hobby, your fandom is, um, accessibility is becoming something that's more and more important. I mean, it's something that people should really listen to and, and figure out. And they were asking, um, hey, you know, the virtual aspect is great. You want to. Are you ever going to do in-person events I I'm like, yeah, we'd love to do in-person events, but I don't think this end of it's ever going to go away because mm-hmm. of that. Right. Because we want to make sure that people who can't fly out are still having fun, that there's still things that are offered for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even spoke with them about in like ASL, I guess there's a ASL RPG organization. I would love to find GMs or people who can mm-hmm. do sign or, captioning on a lot of the live stream stuff we have i mean that's something that the technology and people we need to connect to to make those things happen the that'll absolutely be something we look forward to implementing because like you said i have friends that live in australia who would spend like a fortune to fly to like star trek las vegas right (laughs) and that would be like their (laughs) one event for the whole year right yeah Yeah. die hard i mean great great fella and all but uh, you shouldn't have to, br- I really hate to see people break the bank and mm-hmm. spend like an incredible amount of their savings to have a great time
2: mm-hmm.
3: when we could have been doing this the whole time. And, you know, whether we do in-person events or even smaller in-person events or cons, uh, I think we're always going to have the virtual aspect because it's important.
1: Yeah. Right. And I, I think that one of the, there's a couple things that, ins- that have inspired Ghana gaming pretty early on. Um, Pax U was our very first, PAXU U 2019 was the very first actual convention that we went to. We did a bunch of little things locally, but, but Pax U was the very first um, big convention. Um, and we decided that we wanted to kick the door open um, and, and really provide people a really unique experience in playing Vampire the Masquerade. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. what we were doing. This is the only game that we were running and we wanted people to feel like they were honored guests, every single individual. We brought our, our consent forms that we, um, that we modified from um, Monty Cook games. We, you know, made sure that every single person felt like they belonged and that they were valued and that they were important. And, you know, that was one thing that we noticed that that was just kind of one of the things that we wanted to do to try to improve our games But when we were doing that during the convention, we noticed that we were one of the only ones that were doing that. Um, So inclusivity, accessibility, certain things like that were things that we were kind of talking about fairly early on. And that convention going to the bathroom was a challenge for able-bodied individuals whose room were on the other side of the convention hall. Getting Mm -hmm. something to eat and God, getting coffee was a challenge. (laughs) If there was anything we wanted to look at or see, you know, we had to run through. And I remember thinking to myself as I was running through the convention hall to meet somebody at, at a booth somewhere just to kind of hopefully network, um, I'm like, if I had a wheelchair, this would be an impossibility. And so yeah. Yeah. we keep hearing from a lot of different people, whether whether it be, you know, their, whatever disability or whatever challenge they're facing, whatever, whatever has held them back from other I guess, traditional types of of conventions, virtual horrorcon, and the preceding other virtual conventions that we did after the first one um, allowed them to really be an essential part and and honestly be the stars of a convention like that. They're like, oh, this is my world. Welcome to my level. I got this. Right. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you'd think with the internet, it wouldn't take this level of, um, you know, just general inconvenience to create something like this. Um, So I, I think, you know, to to try to find lemons, you know, into lemonade. Um, you know, it's, it's awesome that we're able to do this. Yeah. It just sucks that this was like the catalyst that, you know, um, seemed to be necessary to kind of create it. But I think it's, it's interesting that we're at a time where kind of the technology mm-hmm. is, is now really able to make this happen. Um, and it just is unfortunate that it's the situation that's caused it. Um, but, uh, it's also
1: it's also kind of created it too. I mean, yeah. right. What birthed Virtual HorrorCon is us, you know, Rick and myself and our our partner Ian looking each other in the face on a Google call because we live in different three different states. We normally have Google Meet calls, so this is normal to us. Look at each other in the face and say, "Oh crap. Look at all these conventions that we planned and look at all this money we're about to invest in to do all these cool things and we're not doing any of that." what the hell do we do our entire the one thing that gave us like hope to to keep going with this thing it was it felt like it was about to be squashed so it it came from that so it's it sucks but it's also it feels weird to be thankful for it yeah but i don't know how to say that I,
2: i mean this is just kind of like this year has shown us sort of like in a business environment a creative environment you know, there was sort of a a mass extinction, like the asteroid of COVID-19 like fell straight and created a meteor or was a meteor that just created a crater in the world of conventions, conferences, not just gaming, but like, you know, any kind of conference or convention, Mm -hmm. right. Where people get together in groups and do networking and stuff. And it it was a huge loss in the the short term. Right. But out of this like devastation, something was created to fill that ecosystem right yeah. and what has evolved i think will continue to evolve and will parallel those live interactions right so i don't see this this going away ever really right. as long as yeah. we have this kind of technology in fact it's only going to improve as it gets better right so
1: yeah and what are your feelings i'm i'm interested i don't want to turn the interview on you but and i guess this also goes for you rick i'm curious what are your thoughts on the virtual conventions post virtual horrorcon because we pioneered it in 2020, like some of the bigger guys like Gen Con PAX, like some of the bigger virtual conventions. What are your thoughts on that? I have my opinions, but I'm interested to hear what you think.
0: Well, I it's, it's hard for me to give a, um, a real truthful expression on what I think about that personally and Rachel, you know, feel free to jump in, you know, whenever, but, um, I, I, because I haven't been on, on the user level of the experience. Um, you know, I, I've basically just been kind of like the, in the creative aspect, you know, I've, I've been asked to come and and not perform cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not performing anything, but just like, you know, take part. Um, and so for me as a creator to be able to access people that, I mean, number one, who knows if I would even have access to any of these people normally, you know, because this is bringing people together. So for me as a, as a creator in the community, I think it's awesome to be able to interact with folks that I probably never would have the ability to. Um, but also I think that, it shows, at least for me, that this hobby that we're all so passionate about, whether we're writing, whether we're making podcasts, whether we're doing any of those things, we're, we're going to go out of our way to continue to do that. We're not going to let something like this derail it. And I think afterwards, you know, I think it, it I think if your end result is just to meet in person. I think you are definitely missing a whole group of folks. And I think this interaction, uh, I think is, is, does it replace meeting in person? No, but does it supplement it? Can I see you and can I gauge your responses and, and get that level of interaction with you and, and honestly have fun, entertaining game sessions with folks over video chat? Yes. And to me, like it's a little weird. I've been doing more and more role playing with people because I don't have to put my coat on and get the car and stop and get gas and get food. And, you know, I don't have to invest all that time. I can literally put on my sweatpants, sit down on my chair and I'm, I got my dice in my book and I'm ready to go. So for me, yeah. that's super valuable and yeah. I can't see going back the way that it was before because this has just proven to be so useful. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How about you, Rachel?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I'm like on the, the extroverted introverted scale, I am like pathologically on the extroverted side. (laughs) I love being around people. I love interacting with people. Um, this virtual world, um, for both work and play is, um, a little exhausting to me at times. Um, I actually think it drains me of energy more than it needs me of energy because there's a disconnect in my brain where I should be getting like the whole social experience, but there's something inside me that knows that I'm not. And um, so, so that it's been a hard adjust, hard adjustment. I think, however, what I will say is all of the tabletop games that I have played in virtually have been just as fun as they were in person, if not a bit more enjoyable. Because of the multitasking thing you mentioned, like I like that piece of it where I can, you know, if if I'm sitting at a table playing D and D with a group of people, and two player characters are over here hemming and hawing about like whether they want to traipse through this dungeon while you know my character's waiting, like you know, being a lookout. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like if I'm doing something monotonous in the game, instead of just like mindlessly scrolling on my phone, waiting until it makes sense for me to speak up and do something or to roll some dice, I can, you know, do stuff around the house or make a sandwich or, you yeah. know, do jumping jacks. I can do whatever else I want. So I don't have to feel bad about sitting there and looking distracted. Right. So um, that is nice. I do like that. Um, but also I guess I've just been lucky in that a lot of the storytellers and GMs I've played with have, have done a really great job of making sure that everybody feels included in those games. Um, but I think the, and I agree with Nate where I think it's a supplement, I don't think it's a replacement. Um and I really really like that we now have this new virtual ecosystem for gaming. I think the one area where it's it, it hasn't made sense yet and I think it's going to continue to be a struggle is in the LARP environment. Yep. Um I don't think virtual lends itself to LARP really at all unless you're playing a group of Nosferatu on their computers chatting <laughs> back and forth, right? Like then it makes a lot of sense. Right. Um but <laughs>
3: there's no way are I'm there, walking across that part of the sewer. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so I yeah. think I think it, there are definitely limitations, but there are limitations with all things. Right. So yeah. I think it is a nice supplement. Um, but just speaking from like a personal standpoint, I there's a small part of me that miss misses sitting at a t- group, a, a convention table with a group of strangers. And smelling, you know, the throat bearded nerds halitosis across the table from me <laughs> and having someone bring me nachos while I, you know, sit in this six hour long game and having to, you know, strategically decide, you know, which bathroom I'm going to go to to get me back <laughs> to the table the fastest. I don't know. There's, there's just something about that, like little bit of like hardship that's a little nostalgic, but, you know, at the same time, it's nice to sit in my house in my PJs and, not have to worry about you know putting on the eyeliner and the makeup to go rp for a while so that's also good
1: yeah i miss being in the weeds like with conventions it's like being at a at a table and and having the guys running games and me running around and organizing people and and i never actually got to run any any games at a convention so i i I think that would be fun and interesting to do which i never i never got to do that
3: Trade you next time
1: yeah absolutely (laughs) one of (laughs) <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll switch off but it, like even there's some, there is a human connection piece i don't know are we missing the pheromones that we're throwing at each other are we missing the i don't it's there's something probably very um cave person about it where it's like you know oog here's a person in front of me and let me get whatever that intangible thing that we get from having that that human inter- interaction we're yeah. missing it now and i, yeah. I do i do kind of miss that like i i we're trying to recreate that for virtual Horicon a little bit with, especially with like the stream games and stuff. We have a about a half an hour buffer in between different ga- um, all the games and all the content, and that specifically is so that people who are involved can like, if they want, sit and chat, breathe, <laughs> and breathe, and do this, and not feel like they have to go. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Right. right.
2: Uh,
0: I think that uh, yeah, for me, there is that that same there is like a disconnect, you know, there is something to be said about, you know, someone like me who comes from a, a LARP background. Um, if you, if that's the correct term, but you know, I come from a gaming community that really, it's not the same if you're not meeting in person because all of your acting is in the body, in the face, in the hands. But still being able to communicate with people it's awesome and it really kind of cuts down on the like the extras you know and what i mean by extras i've talked about this a little bit on other podcasts but like when you have people in your home and they're at your table there's a lot of extra stuff that happens in addition to gaming you know there's a lot of side chats and food and, you know, moving around. So, you know, six hours of gaming is really only about three hours of gaming. And so when you meet online, you know, it's three hours of gaming, you know, basically you're gaming from start to finish, but it's also helped me to value that all that extra stuff is really an important part of, of the process of gaming. And there is a little bit of a clinical sort of feel to meeting with people online. Yeah. So, you know, this, this would not become my default, but certainly it's okay. You know, I have a friend that lives in Arizona and we game with him. So it it would be impossible even without COVID to, to play with him face to face. And so this, I think puts everybody else in the same position that he would have to be in based on his distance. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's awesome, but still, it sucks. <laughs> I guess is my point. It's, and it's funny. I mean, i go, go on. No, I was just gonna say. You know, also, it. I think in a lot of ways, it's also affected podcasting. You know, I'm I'm very much used to doing this face to face, and aside from Rachel, who lives in the same house as me, that hasn't happened in a year. So that's like a skill I'm gonna have to relearn. <laughs>
1: And when you, I, I, there is some, cause I do notice that like with your, with your podcast in particular, when you two are talking together, it's like, ah, okay, this is the magic. Okay. All right. You know, and, and part of it is because you guys have a way with each other and, and it's amazing, but it, another part of it probably does have to do with sitting down next to somebody, the non-verbals, the, you know, even, you know, I come from corporate marketing. So even with like meetings and stuff, yeah. sometimes especially when you have a culture of being able to do conference call meetings like this, oftentimes, especially with marketing, it's like, okay, let's get everyone in the same room, especially when we're collaborating, and we need to be able to catch everybody's nonverbals, especially when we're brainstorming and like, what's a good idea? What's a bad idea people are afraid to say if it is or not, but you could see it on their face or when you're dealing with clients, like all that human stuff you're, you're missing. So and you could hear it in the, in a podcast, I'm sure. And it feels comfortable sitting next to someone with like a microphone to you and saying let's let's just chat it out, but like yeah. for us, for example, we've only podcasted via video and 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 audio, so I feel like we would be weird <laughs> if we were to hold a microphone. Like now, back to you. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, can you imagine, Rick? Like if we were sitting next to each other and just having a conversation with a mic? I don't know.
3: You're
0: not that far away. Let's experiment with this weirdness. Well, uh, <laughs> that's that's an interesting point that you bring up, but I I feel like in that situation. You've, you forget after like five minutes that you are in front of a microphone. Right. My experience is this, and this isn't necessarily universal. There's some people that are just more attuned to, you know, per, I guess performance again, it's although I don't really consider it that, but for a lot of people, when you put a microphone in front of their face in a social situation, they immediately clam up. They immediately, yeah. it changes the dynamic. But I feel like if you can engage long enough, eventually they forget it that it's there. Yeah. And yeah. and it, and it will it will sort of air out the room and I think have a better conversation. I think with this t- type of conversation it's always going to be a little stiff because there's that just that distance. You know, it's it's not like if you were in the room where you know we're picking up in real time, you know, I have to watch the screen and go okay, did they hear me? Did they catch me? So I think it's always a little stiff over the internet, but I think it's, it's good enough. Most people are doing it this way. And a lot of people were doing it this way before. So it's not a huge issue, but yeah, I I don't think it's just for me, I'm going to have to relearn how to do it because (laughs) I don't, I don't have anybody sitting in front of me anymore. So
3: like you said, it's a little clinical, right?
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Um,
3: It's funny, you know, with our in-person game, especially the one that I played with, mark where we travel to massachusetts you know it, like you said you have those in between moments that are great for like when you're not role-playing you're just building your friendships or you're spending time with your friend out of character yeah you know at the end of the game like this cheesy maybe this is just what we do we have we have a lot of people who are just really close with who we were playing games with and they'd give you a hug at the end of the thing hey yeah see you? you know yeah i freaking miss that like, oh man! It was a yeah. little weird at first, but like, cause we have one guy who's, he's a maple teddy. He's a Canadian giant. <laughs> he's one of our staff members. His name is Dan McDonald calling you out. Uh, but no, he, you know, he, so we all just give each other a hug at the end. Cause it is good to see each other. We you know we really care about each other. And uh, so that's kind of missing. Although I got to say the things that are better as far as like extra little things that came along with being able to role play on the internet if you're at a table and you're trying to do something really sneaky, right. Mm-hmm. You want to like tell another player something clandestine, you know, you'd have to either physically write out a note on paper and hand it to them under the table or whatever, or text them, but people could see you texting and shit. Right. When you're playing online, you can just open up the chat box and just message that one person. Right. And they don't know you're backstabbing the prince or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that has been fun. I've, especially as a storyteller, when, um, Like Rachel, when you said, you know, those players are doing something and um, I'm just kind of waiting my turn Mm -hmm. as a storyteller and my ability to multitask, I'm able to like run a scene and like, you know, say it's focused on Nathan and Mark and they're talking and I only really need to jump in every now and then because they're having a dialogue at the same time, the players who aren't doing anything, I can take that chat box on the side and start sending them text messages from an NPC. Mm-hmm. so they're engaged on a whole other level that's yeah maybe it's not in front of the the camera maybe it's not being picked up by the microphone but they're engaging with the storyteller that the story is continuing to move and you know once nathan and Mark's scene is over they're like guys i just got this from x and they're saying this happened i don't know if we should trust it etc it's been an interesting way to like connect with the players who are on pause so to speak mm-hmm. just keep all of those different wheels moving um that may be not for everybody but i found that that's something that lends itself to being a positive aspect of the online gaming
1: i would also say that the role-playing aspect has increased that was the one part of you know because i i played dnd for a long time um i've always been in love with vampire the masquerade it was kind of i guess the first game that i really fell in love with so role-playing is is kind of in my blood when it comes to tabletop games Mm -hmm. and with D D, oftentimes it can be very mechanical and and very depending on the group obviously um but the groups that i've played with it was very dice rolls and arguing over rules and all of this stuff and i would i was the nerd that would try to role play and, you know, sometimes it wouldn't be taken so not bad, but just more like, like, okay, yeah, 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 you say that. And it's like, <laughs> all right, I was looking You're for a, a little goblin boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, all right, I, was, I, I think uh, there's one, there's one, one part in particular of a, of a, uh, a game that we had. And I think the GM was trying to, I don't know if he had to go to the bathroom or something, but he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are in a, a marketplace so we're we're like, as our characters, you know, talking about what we're going to buy and what kind of shops we're thinking about. Give us a little map of what shops we're doing, or what shops are there. So we kind of did our own little perusing and we all had a little plan, you know, and we were all going to try to haggle. And he got so frustrated because we were all haggling with <laughs> each and every one of the shop owners. And he just wanted us to get on with the adventure with streaming games and with online games and with games that use Zoom and, and Google Meet and everything else role-playing is such a big aspect of it yeah and you could really get into i guess what you would probably experience more in larp than in in what traditional tabletop games would have
2: yeah yeah I think that there, there could be some sorry to interrupt you, no, um, you go I, think, ahead. I think that yeah there is something about the safety of having the the computer in front of you rather than people that I think lowers a lot of people's inhibitions yeah. and makes them feel a lot safer to yeah. Do something that maybe somewhere deep down in their psyche, there's a bully telling them they're, they're they're a stupid nerd and they shouldn't be enjoying pretending to be a wizard, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think definitely I I I think you're a hundred percent right on there.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say, I, I think that um in a lot of ways, that is a real benefit of um this whole COVID crap is that people are now spending so much more time actually like watching actual plays and you do have some really top-notch even dungeons and dragons actual plays and vampire the masquerade actual plays both from fans of the community and also like more professionally uh, produced stuff where people are role-playing and so you know they may be getting the you know an an erroneous expectation of what they're going to experience at the table but they're seeing primarily that role play. They're seeing people act out those roles instead of just different ways to
3: do it. Right. Exactly.
0: And, and I I will agree with that. I I think that that is the one major thing that I've noticed, you know, it's just like when it's time to game, like we all sit down and we're like ready to get in character. And I do think that that barrier does help people to sort of feel less embarrassed about, you know, pretending about pretending to be a character about trying to get into a role. I actually think for me, it's a little bit more difficult because I am so used to that like person on person interaction,
1: like the physicality. physicality. Right, right. Exactly.
0: Um, So it did take a little bit of adjustment for me. Now, obviously I've been doing, you know, some tabletop gaming on discord for quite a while. And I think I, I had some preparation in the form of just doing it via voice and yeah. that was hard. <laughs> that was difficult because you're like, all right, here's the thing I'm telling telling you about. I'm the storyteller. And then you just wait and see <laughs> who's going to respond.
2: Yeah, I think I think one thing if you're if you're playing a game online and I don't know if you guys have experienced this with the con at all. But if, if people are only doing it over voice, I think that like you have to be able to see people. That's the element that, that is really yeah. essential. Because then you you can't read body language or you get people who are like too afraid to speak up, don't know when to speak up. And so there is a lot of dead air that I notice when you're when you're playing um, online where you can't see anybody. And then you have jerks like me who are like, well, it's quiet now, so let me fill the void <laughs>
1: so
2: You get like the same three people who are talking the whole time and driving the story. and then you know your more introverted player isn't doing anything yeah. because they're like they're like, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to be quiet. And let let this happen around
0: me. If you're used to podcasting, you, you like every second has to be filled with, with voice yes. and if any, and it's like every second that isn't is like death. So you're like, okay, uh, do I just keep talking or what, <laughs> like, <all> right, <laughs> what do we been, do? That's
3: been, it's so true. And it's, it's so weird because I'm experiencing that, uh, experiencing that for the first time because we're developing an audio only actual play. Right. Mm. And, there are times where I've got more than one person, more than one person playing and it, the scene is theirs and I'm not in it. So right. I can't just necessarily jump in as an NPC. It's something that they have to work out themselves and it can create these really interesting tension and like yeah. this, these drama moments where I'm like, do I jump in? Do I wait? It because I can't see the physical cues, mm-hmm. but um, so far it's been more enjoyable mm. on my my perspective. So, yeah, I mean, time will tell. One thing I wanted to ask to to all you guys, because it kind of just popped in my head as we were talking, do you think that this will impact the development of RPGs going forward? Do you think that the way that scenarios are built will incorporate like the fact that this is kind of like a fact of life now? Like like I was saying before, how, You've got players doing one thing. Right. And they're yeah. like, they're on the primary stage, but then, you know, picture it as being like Shakespeare, right. You've got him talk. You got Hamlet talking uh, to the skull. He's talking to Yorick, but there's two grave diggers in the back and they're having a conversation. And that's a whole scene unto itself. That's like, you know, you've got scene a, which is prime. And that's like scene a two. Right. I'm wondering if scenarios now are going to be written in such a way that it Takes into consideration this online aspect and what that's going to look like. Mm.
1: I I think that the, I think if anyone is going to be doing that, is going to be the people who are on the metagaming scene. Um, There's like a subsect of indie gaming, which I stumbled across by accident. um, Oh, the dark web. The dark web. (laughs) yeah they, you can you can tabletop role-playing dark yeah they're actually uh you know what are the blood sport tabletop games <laughs> so i don't know um <laughs> was that seen a deer hunter the knock
0: um, of, of gaming
1: yeah so the the one i don't know there's no losers but you end up dying at the end anyways no but there there's a subsection of, of indie games that are very meta right of, like, the game is talking about that we're all playing a game. Mm-hmm. And if anyone is going to do that, if anyone's going to do that kind of, let's take a look at how we play tabletop games, especially using the medium that we're using, it's going to be the people in, in that scene. I mean, itch.io is probably the best place to find a lot of these people, a lot of these games. But um, I should give you titles, but I'm, I'm flaking.
3: Well, you know, don't just try and Google it because you don't want to, like, you know, end up getting like eight viruses on your computer.
1: Yeah, well, because I have to dip into the dark web to get it. It's like yeah. the one wire. <laughs> <The only> <laughs> it's, right. it's all, it's all Bill Clinton. <laughs> recordings.
0: <laughs> I think that um, if game companies start to do this, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to affect long-term. I hope it does in a positive sense, but I can tell you from a personal perspective, me running games online has really upped the graphic representation quotient. Uh, Like, I am constantly looking for visual aids, graphics. Like, there's no real, (laughs) to me, there's no excuse to run a game on the internet and not have something graphic to, to, to lend to the players so that they can get an impression. Yep. yeah when you're when you're face to face I think it's easier to go on these sort of long winded um you know theater of the mind descriptions but I feel like in a tabletop setting when you're with like three other adults and you're on the internet and you only have three hours to play it's like all right you're at the bank here's what the bank looks like boom you know yeah. you have a picture and I think if game companies do it right it will really require them to start investing a lot of time and effort and money into including extra graphics and extra representation, um, visual representation of things. Because for me, now when I sit down to plot out a game session, I'm going, okay, I need to know what happens A, B, and C. These are the big scenes that I'm going to try to have happen in the game. But now I also need to plot out what's this character look like? What's this character look like? You know what does this building look like, um, and and include all that stuff in my in my folder so that I can show it during the game, and so that that's that's a whole other prep that I yeah. never did or did very little of during tabletop. You know, face to face, I might make like one printout and hand it out to people, and that was a lot of work. But now, I have no excuse. It's all PDF or it's all JPEG,
1: whatever. I think a lot of people too that they are searching for things to help inspire the character help inspire their scenario and they just don't show anybody that and it's really cool now that we're living in a world where the character sketch is valued now where Mm -hmm. it wasn't before like i've seen players show their character sketch in the dm or gm go okay
2: or as i say like you have folks on um You know, I saw the other day on Twitter, the other day, it could have been a month ago, I don't know. But on Twitter, (laughs) I saw saw, um, B. Dave Walters kind of put out a tweet like, hey, I want some character sketches for this upcoming game that I'm in or I'm running or something. I can't remember the exact context. And he's like, you know, at me if you have a friend. And like there are like small artists or when I say small, I mean, people who are kind of growing in the art community that can now get paid to do a good character sketch. A lot of them do. And Mm -hmm. they do
3: fantastic work.
2: Right.
3: Um, yeah. You know, to name drop him again, our, our buddy uh, DJ Tourador, who just started up his thing. He's done for some of his own characters that he's mm-hmm. like cameoing in other games. He he has like interesting drawings of himself, but um, you know, he, he commissions artwork of uh, different characters that he's now portraying as NPCs. And it's funny because right before COVID, I was starting up um, a V five game, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, "It'll be really fun to like have pictures of the characters and things." So. You Know, use Pinterest as like mood boards and things like that. Um, find interesting pictures of people, and it can help inspire you to create an entire character off.
0: Of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: Art Breeder for people who haven't used it is fantastic as well, where you can click Art Breeder
2: breeder
1: okay yeah <laughs> i'm i'm a little weird with art breeder i'm gonna be that dick i'm sorry but like i I, like, I
2: never heard of it so feel free to debate because i'm learning
1: art breeder is very cool because the, the whole thing is that it allows it literally uses algorithmic breeding of images so that you can they, and they have like portraits of people you could take two different pictures of people and it merges it together and the computer does its thing and it looks like really really jimmy cool.
3: and william defoe it makes something horrifying yeah
1: right exactly it oh, looks okay like, it actually looks like me when you do that <laughs> um, <laughs> and then and then there's like landscapes and different kinds of characters and everything else. And it's really, really cool. But I, I, I have a worry and this could be unfounded and I could be totally wrong. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Marchosius and, and talk shit at me directly about this, but I feel like art Breeder cuts out the artists.
3: of yeah, Technology.
1: That and that makes me nervous as an artist.
3: Well, I mean, here's the thing. You can use something like that. Because I've used it for some characters, and I like what I come out with, but when everyone's using it, it's like, oh, that just looks the same. I would rather take what I've made with Art Reader and then send it to a commissioned artist to be like, this is kind of what I was thinking about. That's a cool concept. And then have them do it. Because yeah. there are so many people who are now doing it um, who are absolutely fantastic, uh, especially on Twitter. You can
2: find that I can see the I can see the value in that, because as... As someone who is not visually inclined, artistically inclined, sometimes I lack the vocabulary to be able to describe to people what it is yeah. that I want. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, if you could visually show them, like like this, but not like this, but also right. a little bit with this peppered in, I think that could be useful. But I'm also I'm not an artist, so I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be useful. <laughs> throw a little
3: hot rod red in there with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Is that your new tattoo. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But that's, that's been that's <laughs> been a huge thing for me. With when when I would run a game at the table with a bunch of people, I I was very like anti map. Like maybe I'll give you a quick sketch if you're having a real difficulty imagining what you're you're you know you're encountering. But for the most part, I was very much like we don't need minis, we don't need maps. Yeah, Physical representation is not important. Use your imagination. But yeah. now like it's something about this environment where where I'm like I need something visual to represent everything because it's like I mean you're on technology you know you're on a computer
2: but but you know why you need it is because at a tabletop game there would always be the overachiever player uh-huh. who would be drawing the map as you described it <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. they could show it to all their buddies at the table you could, and you, then you wouldn't tell. have to yeah. worry about it yeah. but now tell did their homework <laughs> yeah you can't rely on that person right. one necessarily being in the game or two like to scan it or take a picture and send it to everybody so it does it is like you know a little bit more of a burden of yeah. responsibility on the storyteller just to have something visual there so everyone is definitely on the same page I was Although printed
3: up like a whole city map of like you know city I was running the game in, and then the characters the players were literally like this block is mine. <laughs> <they> were, like, <laughs> take a, a, a highlighter of different colors <laughs> and be like, You come into my territory, I'm gonna fuck you up. You know? <laughs> I mean awesome. it became like a thing where so like people cool. were like, Okay, I gotta put points and resources, I need a of finance, i, I want to need that. a ghoul so that I can <laughs> own this part of town. And it became like a real estate power struggle, and that's not exactly what everyone wants to play but it was fun for them yeah
1: Mm -hmm. so yeah although you know with one thing that is i think one thing that that is cool about it is that you have people who are now able to kind of build their own i guess their own imagery on it and they might help to offer some of that because it's quick it's quick and easy right like yeah a lot of times at a regular tabletop game you have that that one overachiever that you talked about that's doing I, I sometimes am that overachiever that will create imagery for a game and like look, <laughs> I made your characters, everyone. Um, <laughs> I can't draw, but I do Photoshop. And that's how we met you? That's exactly how. You, yeah, that's exactly how, <laughs> how we met each other. You
3: guys are cool. I'm gonna start making images for you. Yeah, for, okay. for
1: this massive vampire game, uh, multiple table vampire game that I decided to join in on because you're uh, advertising publicly, and I just I just made promotional imagery because I thought you it was did? really cool. Um, but like now people are offering things like, Hey, I made a mood board for my character here. And you're like, it's simple. It's like a Google slide with a bunch of various images, but it's fucking cool. And it helps you build like a cinematic language a bit. Yeah. And that's the one part I think that is a huge plus with these types of games. Like last virtual horror con, I, I ran a, a vampire game that got very, very thematic. And I, I, I asked the players to describe things for me, right? Like you walk up to um, you know, an RV that's run down and there's red light coming from inside of the windows. What are the details of this RV you think as your character's walking up? That's typically something I never really did with regular games non-stream or non-virtual. But this type of game, for some reason, it'll, it kind of want, it, it beckons you to ask your players, like, "What do you see?" I want to know what you see. Yeah, and it be it literally becomes quite, quite literally a, a group storytelling experience. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's a that's a big thing that's happened for me. Um, you know, virtual play uh, wise is uh, as a player and and as a storyteller, I'm very much. Um, like artistically minded, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm create uh, my creativity comes through imagery. And so when I make a character for a game, you know, if I don't draw a picture, I'll, I'll find a piece of reference material. You know, if I play like a historical character, I might find an old picture of, you know, the person that that came from, but I'll also, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work out things like the clothes that they wear. And I basically was doing this for me, And maybe for my storyteller or, you know, if I was the storyteller, I was just doing it for me because it helped me creatively. But now it's sort of taken folks who maybe they didn't have a frame of reference for that or that that creativity wasn't innate to them and sort of forced them into that world and opened them up to go, oh, I also want to do this. But now we get to share it, you know, instead of just like us existing on a little island you know with our little character sketches and all our little junk that we we built up like now we're oh we're all in the same discord room this is my thing and this is the mask that my character wears and these are his yeah. boots and now they can go oh these are mine and da, da 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 so yeah i think it just it really adds a new dynamic to to that and i think if game companies are smart in the future they're going to give you a lot of just additional resources, resources, yeah, to play with in a virtual setting.
1: One of the
3: things we've seen where that's happened, we um, uh, we knew the guys from apotheosis Studios. They just did the Red Opera, which is a D and five e setting, and um, you know, checking it out on Kickstarter. The different pages of that Chronicle, because it's kind of like a story, right? It's got different branching paths, but there's like one of those QR square codes mm-hmm. that you can scan with your, your phone and it'll bring up an MP3 of like a piece of metal and orchestral yeah. music that is specifically tuned to like the emotions, what's happening in that setting. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that also with like background art for the world or, you know, if yeah. you're at a bar, like what does that place look like? Yeah. What does the setting look like? You're mm-hmm. traveling through some mountains. Show me if, if you can it'd be fantastic. You know, and as an online ST, like, I change my backgrounds a lot with Zoom. Like, now you're on the subway. Now you're in a police background. It, it gives the players, like, some frame of reference. And um, if you're sneaky about it, you can put things in the background that they don't expect mm-hmm. <laughs> that are actually there that you haven't described, you know, and you can have a little fun with it.
1: Yeah, and I think one huge opportunity from a digital aspect, it's like just from a resource, it's not exactly visual, but it's kind of visual, Um in this new age of role-playing games we're seeing more and more focus on the relationship map um games like cults games like uh, vampire uh, excuse excuse me a, a bunch of other ones that that use some type of relationship map as a you know possible resource that either your players or a gm can use to help right. track the game um i got very excited about this idea early on and and there was this uh, Kumu um, which is what people were using for like business relationships for like, how do I know this person and how can I network with that person from like visual LinkedIn? Yeah. It's a visual LinkedIn. Yeah. When I get done with my conference, I'm going to know who knows everyone. And who's cheating on (laughs) who's wives with who and um, using it in a role play aspect. There is a, there was a group of people that started doing things like, Uh, creating an entire relationship map for LA by night um, which was impressive so we started using that in some of our games and that was really really fun to use but I was shocked blown away that still we still haven't seen any of these companies come out with a resource like that or a a platform (laughs) in which to like give these visual resources to your players or at least have like a centralized hub of gameplay
2: But why would they create it when they have an army of nerd fans who they know will do it for them? Like what's the financial incentive? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, (laughs) They're like, Oh, we could make it. Or we could just wait for one of these guys to do it because they're going to do it anyway.
0: No, I I agree with you. I mean, honestly, that is a huge pain for me as a player for some games. Um, There is a game and I'm not going to put them out on blast, but reading the book has done me almost no good. I've had to go and and Google search almost every question I've had about the system. Hmm. And it's almost exclusively player driven. And to me, that's not a good experience as a player. Like you can't rely on your fan base to make sense of your material. Yes. You need to be able to put that in. And especially, you know, when your game is, you know, not a necessarily like a modern day setting, you know. Maybe it's a, a a world, a future that doesn't actually exist. You know, you want to have reference material. You want to have images because it's completely imaginary.
1: It's oh not my real. god! Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm sorry. I got excited because there there are there's another game line which I'm also not going to mention because I don't want to throw shade. That like. The, the, there's there's not enough imagery to help support the name of the game and the setting in which it lives. Like you need more imagery that's related to your setting yeah. and there, it's painfully lacking. There's a couple yeah. of games like that.
0: Well, and especially when these games have existed for decades and you go back and you look at some of the old material like the yeah. and, and, and that old material had just tons of graphics. And then somehow they felt like, oh, we should have less now. Less
1: graphics, right. It's
0: like, <laughs> you, no. how did you, how did you get like, what, what's going on here? It just blows yeah, my and mind. It leaves,
3: the new fl- it leaves the new fans kind of like wandering in the dark, right?
0: Yeah. Because at least you know that
3: you could refer back to some of those old books for inspiration. Oh right. like, well, yeah. Like think about it. it existed.
0: Think about it like this. You know, if you, if you got into vampire, the masquerade during the second edition, right. And you know, right. we are all familiar with like that, those classic black and white graphics. And they were very striking, but they're kind of dated today. And, yep. you know, think about like, if they put out that V five book and they had like one tenth of the artwork that's in it. And like, you'd be like, wait a minute, what am I? And it was all just like, kind of shitty you know wasn't very good um you know say what you want about the new vampire the masquerade art but they include a lot of it and there should be enough for everybody to be drawn in but if they had one tenth of that artwork you'd be like okay i don't get it like i can't visually represent this in my brain
1: so there's a thing this this kind of intersects with a concept that i'm very passionate about in the tabletop industry which is related to people getting paid for the work that they're doing and players paying for the games that they love um there's a there is a i don't know for a while it's not so much now these days but it felt like for a while there was a very vocal minority of people that were very adamantly saying why does a book cost this much all i need is a google doc with like the rules printed out for me or i'm going to pirate it somewhere you know um, and that's all i need to play the game like why are we wasting all this money on the artwork and on the formatting and on the design of it and the actual you know, playtesting and the yada yada right. yada. The whole. But if it right. wasn't there, they'd bitch about it. So. But if it wasn't there, they would bitch about it, right? Like, right. and and so, if you have a game that's lacking, it feels like less of a game. Yeah. And I think that the artwork in a tabletop game is so essential. Yeah. To tabletop as an entire industry, I mean, look at the red box, right? Yeah. That very, I mean, you you see it in your mind right now. That's all design, all of the classic D anD. D um, uh, you know, paintings from, from back in the day. And they were literally paintings, right? Yeah. The the old school pencil and pen drawings of Vampire the Masquerade. Even some, like now we're looking at V5. V5's artwork is going to be iconic a couple mm-hmm. of years from now. It's going to be like, holy shit, this is the edition that had this specific artwork. And it's going to be very, very iconic. And we're, I think we're going to find through time that there's going to be a more of appreciation of that. Um, But you have to be able to push the envelope, you have to be able to experiment, and honestly, you have to be able to pay people to do this kind of stuff. And I think that it's that idea is coming from, well, we can pay less artists, we'll have like one or two artists, they'll do five or six hero images, the rest will be all copy um, and formatting, and then we'll call it a day. And it feels light.
0: Yeah. It, it actually opinion. kind of feels to me like a bit of a ripoff. And, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely I partial. I want artists to get paid. I believe wholeheartedly, um, you know, think about it like this. If I pay $60 for a game book, I'm going to use that game book probably for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. A video game that, you know, is $60. I might get Twelve, twenty, hours, right? Maybe. Depending on the game, yeah. yeah. You know, if it's a really I feel the good same one- way, that's
3: that's how I like put money to like the experience and how much you're going to use it value. Right. You're absolutely right. You know, and it's the same thing. You you spend like um, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen dollars for a movie ticket. That's like two hours of entertainment, maybe three <laughs> yeah. if it's something really long, <laughs> and then it's done. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't put a price on a book that's going to cost you. 50 bucks that you're going to use at the minimum, if it's something fun that your friends are all interested in, you might play that for an entire year, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're playing one time a month or mm-hmm. three hours. I mean, with the amount of people you're playing with, because these role-playing games, typically it's like three or four or five players. Yeah, You're never going to have an experience that's like that with any other medium, right. especially like tabletop collaborative storytelling it's an experience that's really unparalleled. You know, everyone's an actor. Everyone's a mm-hmm. character. You get to step in the shoes of a different life. Like, you are Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible now.
2: Yeah. You know? I. Not to continue to drive this point home. I agree with you guys 100%. But I think about it like this. Like, when I was in grad school, I had one friend who was playing, I think it was Pathfinder. It was his first Pathfinder game. And he got, the like, the main book whatever it was. I don't know what what edition. I don't know Pathfinder, but he got the book, right? And our, our third friend who was there in the setting and around us was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? That looks like one of our textbooks for pharmacology. Look how thick that is. You're going to play a game with that book? And I was like, Oh yeah, one of our textbook costs four hundred dollars, and it's not nearly as interesting or worthwhile as this book that my friend after has. Year, yeah, right? yeah, exactly.
3: We changed so, five facts in it, so it's worthless now.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not advocating that game books start costing hundreds of dollars, although you can definitely find those that do. What was the Nate, the game that Chris Harbin bought a couple of years ago oh, at Gen Con? The Genesis? Was, the Genesis. The Genesis. Yeah, it yeah, was beautiful, you know, gorgeous
1: yeah. book, gorgeous and it was
2: a it was a three-figure book. Like you yeah. would to drop hundreds of dollars on it and it was worth it alone for how beautiful and well-composed it was. Yeah. You know, if he ends up running a game in the aftertimes, you know, we'll see, but still like that's a book he's going to have on his shelf forever that he can read and reference, just enjoy it as a work of fiction or a piece of art. And he gets to run a game out of it.
1: So. And that's the downside of this, of this industry is that There are, you know, again, not to throw any shade at any companies, but, you know, there are a lot of people in this industry who I absolutely love as as people. And there are a lot of companies who I, who I love as companies and the, and the products that they bring are amazing. Um, But there's a huge problem with people not getting paid enough Mm -hmm. in this industry that I've noticed because I'm, you know, I mean, we're babies in the industry. We've been around since 2019. Right. So like I have, I come from the corporate side, from the corporate world, from, from, you know, where people are getting paid, some people maybe even too much. And you you look at it from that side and you're like, whoa, everyone that I talk to typically has multiple jobs in the industry if that's all they do. If they don't have a day job in the tabletop industry, they have three or four tabletop jobs. And the reason why is because it's very, very hard for companies in this space to pay anybody because it's very, very hard for companies to – incentivize anybody to pay for the games that they're playing so they have this like set that $65 ceiling that they have to work with and they're like well we can't go beyond that unless it's something special and they're breaking their banks with this special edition book for five people to buy it at 300 bucks a pop instead of everybody saying okay we're going to be willing to pay $80 for a new edition game because we're god damn it we're going to hold on to this thing we're going to value it we're going to be constantly reading about it we're going to be on the internet talking about all the time, it's going to consume our entire being. And almost a, for some people, it's their entire identity, like a a, right. not just an, <laughs> a whole it's, game. that's their identity.
2: Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, what the, what the folks at these companies have to must have to grapple with is like, how do we balance profitability with right. keeping the barrier of entry low enough right. so that n- a new generation of fans can get into it? Because mm, if you're like 16, sense. Well, yeah, if you see if if you're 16, 17 years old and you're not making an income every year, then right. what incentive do you yeah. have to go drop 80 bucks on a game? Right. When maybe you can get it off the internet. Yeah. So it's like I under I understand the dilemma. And totally. but yeah, well,
0: And and also there is sort of a counter to that as well, which I believe if you're gonna charge sixty or seventy dollars for a book, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But your quality needs to match that quantity. Yep. And that's, that's a big issue. I think for a lot of people is that they would be willing to pay more for these books, but a lot of the books that come out that you pay full price for, they're just, they're just not worth it. You know, there's so many issues yeah. or errors and it's just the, the level of quality. I think it gives a lot of players, a lot of buyers, the feeling that, Some of these companies just don't care about the products that they're putting out. One of the, the, the game I was referencing earlier, where I had to go and Google search everything. Yes. I feel
2: like uh, I might know what game this is. I know exactly.
1: Yes.
0: You know, this is a book that, that is so utterly disorganized. It is, it's, it's had two separate, like 20 page plus erratas put out for it. And it's just like, you know, this is a property that's been around for decades And it's, it's beloved by so many people. And it just, you look at the book and you go, who, whoever put this together didn't care.
1: But why Nate that's so, so there's a big reason why the reason why is because all of the people who are worth their salt and say, let's just call, let's just say editing, Mm -hmm. right? Copy Mm -hmm. editors, where are they? They're not in tabletop because they're not making any money. Right. 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 They'll, they'll play tabletop. There's so many writers and editors and artists that love tabletop, but are they going to work in the industry? No, because how am I going to feed my family? How am I yeah. going to like keep up with rent? How am I going to like, I don't know, fund my hobby. Um, Much
2: easier to go work for Salesforce for 65 grand a year as a copy editor. Yeah. Thank that's, you. That makes, it makes the decision easy. Right. So thank you. you do, you yeah. do have like a huge swath of people with a lot of creative energy who are incredibly talented that end up go, going and working, um, in, in corporate, you know, in the corporate arena, not necessarily because that's what they love, what they're passionate about, but because what they love and passion, what they love and are passionate about doesn't afford them the ability to lend their talents to that media.
1: Yeah, and there's, absolutely. And there's yeah, and there's an economy of scale when it comes to huge companies like Wizards of the Coast and Paizo and, and, and Chaosium, while they're great companies and they put out great stuff and not so great stuff, um, they are these huge behemoths that are, well, I, I, honestly, I... I, I I'm becoming revolutionary here, but I think that it's going to take a couple of brave souls. I think it's going to take a couple of brave companies that are going to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? Enough's enough. And and we are actually going to walk in and make sure that people do get things like a livable wage. I mean, all these people that work for these companies that love his hobby, they talk about that kind of stuff, Yeah, but they like, put your money where your mouth is a little bit. And, <laughs> and I, I, yeah. I, I think that that's a challenge for a lot of companies here because you're right, they're challenging to survive. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, do we close our doors tomorrow and help pay people? Or do we, like, it's, it's a balancing act. And yeah. I think that it's going to take a, a massive movement. It's going to take a, a brave set of companies to go, this is what we're going to do. And whatever we have to do to try to survive that, I personally think will help because I think that yeah. the market yeah. is going to favor that. And I've
3: appreciated, and we've talked about this a couple of times in the past, where like you see a lot of companies, they do Kickstarters now, right? Yeah. If you really want this, this is what you'll pay for it. This is the cap we need to make. And, um, you know, anything after that, we come up with more material or like additional books on top of the one that you would want it. And, you know, the last couple that we've kind of pitched into, they've been like, we're going to, we've run out of stretch goals that we thought of let's uh, pay the staff more.
2: <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs>
3: sucks. Yeah. That's the last thing that <laughs> I'm like, dude, put that number one because right. yeah. I will, I may have bought this book for 50 bucks, but I want people to keep making books like this, right. yeah. whether, it's, whether it's the same book I just bought or whatever. if I like the writers. I like the artists. I like anything about it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm willing, you know, I'm not, I'm not loaded. I'm not rich. I have you know, three kids in one job. Um, plus Ghana gaming, but <laughs> I will absolutely do whatever I can to like throw an extra 10 bucks towards a project. So that artists, writers, developers continue making stuff for the yeah. hobby. That is my passion. Right. Right. Uh, and I, I, you know, I don't want to say you can market to that, but you can always, you can, but you know, be upfront, the, the, be honest right. about it. And and I, and I think that the,
0: the, the big the big difference for me is, you know, when I when I backed Chicago by night, I backed Chicago by night because I felt that Onyx Path Publishing had a history of putting out quality material. Right. Just based yeah. on my experience, yep. you know, pound for pound with the world of darkness stuff, I felt good quality. I agree. That book got backed. Tons of people backed it. And when I got it in my hands, I was like, this is a quality book. This is yeah. a book that I'm happy that I invested my money in. Mm-hmm. On the same token, I did not have a Kickstarter or back like the fall of London. And when I received the fall of London,
1: to me, yeah. that's
0: that's one of the worst books that I've ever seen for the world of darkness.
1: Even even having an, a misunderstanding of what edition they're printing a book on. <laughs> I, Wait, what? I, that I, I,
2: was a thing. Oh, I missed that. What, what page was what?
1: that? There was a, there was a, there was a system error.
2: Yeah,
3: uh,
1: yeah. yeah, right. No, I mean, no, no. Uh, yeah. It, here's the I, catch, right?
3: The writers I, I don't in that remember
1: book are fantastic. Oh,
3: okay, you you had Matthew Dawkins, Stephanie Devon, a bunch of people who've written for these other properties that were great, and you could see that it had greatness in it, but you could also tell that it was extremely rushed, right? Right, and. Knowing some of those people, I know that they probably have nights where they're like, if that was me, and I would be like, I can't, you know, there's nights where I don't sleep well, because right. I know that this could have been so much better. And as a creator, when you're at the, you know, people are whipping you to get things done, you, you kind of have to go along with it, right. put it out. It was t- really hurt. I must, yeah.
0: It sucks for me. There's a there's a philosophy that I try to follow when I encounter a bad piece of gaming material. I'm not here to attack the writer. I'm not here to attack the yeah. artists.
3: Mm-hmm. And I like that you never have been either.
0: And and and, and I, I if if ever I'm in that position, you know, and and it's pointed out to me, I try to regroup and go, okay, you know, and and I, my point is, it's not their fault that that material was
1: released that way. It's not. No, it's right. not at all. That's what I was trying to say, too.
0: Right, exactly. And, and you know, quality control being what it is, like, y- as a company, you're either we're in and out for a quick buck and screw everybody else, or we're going to actually take the time to put out a product that is worth yeah. people's spending money It's a
3: track record, too. You can kind of tell who does that and right. who doesn't.
1: Right. And, I, and and it, it yeah, becomes very, very obvious because we're all kind of voting with our dollars here. Right. And that's kind of I guess that's kind of my point is that if you were to take when you when companies do take the time, it's, it shows Chicago by Night is one of my favorite source books of it's all time. Beautiful. It's yeah. gorgeous. Like we are we have gushed over it privately is so much. I mean, and this, let the streets run red. And oh, my God. Um, so some blood gods. Yeah. And then now, now we have close to the blood Gods, which is uh, amazing. And so, you know, that's a, that's a case of a, of, of people and company standing by the quality of the product and putting that on the forefront. Um, and that's As opposed a, to that's, buying a license and just shooting
3: something out the door.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and no, but, but at the same time, there is a little bit of a culture in tabletop industry of, of doing that. I'm going to buy I'm going to buy like a a popular title, develop a game, maybe use a pre-existing system that I already have, and then put something out and people might dig it and it, and it kind of has legs. I mean, like Street Fighter. <laughs> Street Fighter or or Ghostbusters, right? The guys from Bodhana group, Jack from Bodhana group loves the Ghostbusters tabletop game. And it's just, it's Who definitely it's, I don't know. I couldn't tell you the company name, but I guarantee you they were just buying up IPs and just like slapping on some titles on a tabletop game. And now there's a whole underculture of, of Ghostbusters fans. And I feel like there's something really cute about that in tabletop. <laughs> but it can go severely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gremlins, the TTR. I would play the hell out of that game. Play a it would. It wouldn't actually <laughs>
0: shock me if that came out.
1: It would be Gremlins 2, though. It wouldn't be the first one, it'd be the new batch.
0: Yeah. All right, guys. Well, it is almost, it's after 10 o'clock for you where you're at. So I think we're going to um, wrap it up here before we go. Um, let's just get a recap. Virtual HorrorCon. Where can we find it? When's it going to be? What are we looking at?
1: Virtual HorrorCon, February 19th through the 21st. You can find all the details on virtualhorrorcon.com. Um, three days of TTRPG te- uh, terror sponsored by drive-through RPG astral tabletop a whole bunch of other awesome vendors and really cool artists you can find in the vendor hall um, we have panels you could watch for free on on Twitch um, actual plays you can watch for free exactly actual plays you watch for free on not just our twitch but also on carrying comfort studios twitch and darker days radio twitch um, a whole bunch of tape, virtual tabletop games behind the scenes if you want to join in and play just like in any other convention um, and then workshops with industry experts try to either up your game or break into the tabletop industry or even to be
3: a better streamer cosplayer there's a number of different offerings for people uh where they're at where the things that they each love about the hobby we've uh we tried to run the gambit of something that's gonna be for everyone out there um because we all have different interests this is a very diverse hobby so we've tried to uh Create a list of different workshops that we feel will uh, help people enjoy all of it more, whatever your fandom is.
1: Awesome. Yep. And again, the, the a portion of the proceeds are going to Black Girls Code and the Blind Cat Rescue and Sanctuary. Um both are amazing nonprofit organizations. Um and also some of the profits are going to, you know, help pay for the people that are going to be running games and, and workshoppers. So you could find all those all that information on virtualhorcon.com. Come play fun. it's cool. a yearly event now so we're we're never going to stop doing this
0: yeah i'll be there rachel will be there right
2: yeah yes, um, you admit you, who's what's this uh there i i hear tell of a <laughs> uh, a game that nate and i would be a good fit for that you uh, an actual play yes yeah
1: what do we got okay what, got? Uh, what, what i got a couple we'll it it right, now.
3: All right. i got some places i need people so Oh, let's do this. Let's do virtual
0: horror planning right put now. Let's do it, it
1: live.
2: You're hearing it first. Live. This is the hot hotness right now, everyone. This is,
0: this is definitely right now live. But when you're listening to it,
3: Get the rapper fog. <laughs> whop, whop. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Sunday at 1230 p.m. Uh, are you free,
1: both of you, to play in a game? Oh my consult, god! I know this game. Sorry.
2: Let me consult the family calendar that we have.
1: I love that you guys have a family calendar. That's adorable. <laughs> it is adorable. It like is also very suited for this game.
2: Incredibly I, I, necessary. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. I have problems keeping track of things, even things that just happened like five minutes ago. So
2: yeah, hard if we didn't
0: have a calendar, it, it would it's, be a mess.
2: You said the twenty first.
0: Yep, Sunday at twelve thirty p.m.
2: Nathan, according to my calendar, we have nothing.
0: <gasps> then yes. that means we're available. That if, means if we're available. Not, if it's not the in the calendar, it doesn't exist. For the next three
3: hours after the after twelve thirty, you will be playing in <laughs> Onyx Path Publishing presents uh, presents. They came from Camp Murder Lake
1: with Ooh. storyteller Matthew
3: Dawkins. Yeah. This is comedy horror based <laughs> on the Friday the Thirteenth genre where you're at summer camp and it's a slasher and um it's a lot of fun it's um the mechanics are very much kind of like the storyteller system but you've got things like quips and like interesting props or one-liners that give you like extra willpower we had done one um what was it they came from beyond the grave that i played in yes it was hilarious right it was like a satanic cult at a college and we were playing students, and it was just stupid fun. Um,
2: well,
1: that came way too much fun.
2: Matthew Dawkins, if you're listening to this, we're, com- we're coming for you. Yes. We're, I'm going to test your storyteller chops. We got this. <laughs> and it's his game.
1: I'm going to murder
2: it. I know. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. murder it.
0: Just don't have to gonna- forward to it. I'm going to uh, play my
2: my best dumb 70s cheerleader or whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever character I get assigned. Uh,
3: I'm writing you in for the schedule right now. Oh, I'm so excited for this game now. I was oh my supposed God. to
0: uh, play in one of his games last year and because we were trying to move and stuff didn't end up working out, I I missed it. So
1: I think but it was yeah. also a They Came From game too, right?
0: I, I think happen. so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, probably.
2: Matthew Dawkins and Nate have this like weird relationship <laughs> where they like to pretend that they're like gangsters from New York and like just trade insults across the <laughs> Internet. And no, it like, sounds
3: about right. He's,
0: he's, he's kind, good at that. We basically have conversations via um, gifts from Goodfellas. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he'll like leave comments on my videos on YouTube where he's like, "Oh, this is such a great video." Now go home and get your fucking shine box. She like, <laughs> got me again. So
2: no, I'll yeah. just like every so often Nate will like just chortle, looking at his phone, and like nine <laughs> times out of ten, it's because Matthew Dawkins has insulted him with a meme. Yeah, it's great. So
0: I, I have a Discord, uh, <laughs> like like most people that make stuff on the internet, I have a Discord and the World of Darkness channel. Uh, Is basically just a long series of memes from like Martin Scorsese mob movies. Just at, like there's no World of Darkness talk there. It's just gif after gif after gif.
1: I appreciate that you communicate via memes on other channels besides a meme channel. I, I'm I'm all <laughs> for it.
0: Yeah, it, it's. <laughs> i'm the only one there that's making the rules which means they are fairly non-existent <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah matthew dawkins is 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 good to bust balls with and funny he, guy. yeah he's really freaking funny um this game is going to be extremely funny especially because there's apparently now a history so i'm i'm <laughs> just to see where this goes mm-hmm. i'm looking I'm forward to it
3: uh if there's any other games you want to play in or times you're available reach out we'll see if i can find you uh Another
0: slot. Sounds cool. good. I will definitely do that. Uh, thank you both gentlemen for coming. Thank and you. I thank can't wait. Us. And no, it's my pleasure. And um, next time we'll do it on your channel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's do it. Cause yeah, by then absolutely. after virtual Horacon, our podcast, will go back to regular uh, episode recordings because we've kind of paused it in lieu of planning for this giant yeah, event.
0: This is probably much more, uh, All-encompassing.
1: Yeah, we do a lot. Thank you right. so much for having us. This was absolutely. so
0: absolutely, absolutely. Thank you guys. Fun and to hang out with you both
1: too. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. I and mean, we could have went for two more hours,
1: but oh, for real, you know, Same. it's almost bedtime. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're old. Nighty night. Don't let the beds bed bugs bite. Um, <laughs> hey,
2: don't joke about that. We live in a big city. You never know.
1: It's true. You never know. You never they know. Do bite. Describe it accurately over the air. A name. <laughs> <is some horror. laughs> And name each one of the bedbugs after me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's just adorable. Like to- You've ruined the horror. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to the 2D10 podcast. If you enjoyed it, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash 2D10. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for 2D10. You can also support this show and all of Utility Muffin Labs by backing me on Patreon.com 2D10. Go to UtilityMuffinLabs.com for more podcasts, artwork, and gaming fun. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate.